If you would, please join me and take out your Bibles and turn uh, to John chapter 3. We're going to pretty much be in John and then maybe over to Revelation uh, 21 for a bit. But uh, also uh, have your um, Trinity hymnal handy uh, so that you can refer to the Apostles' Creed as needed. It's found on page 845. As we turn... To God's word, let's turn to him once again in prayer and ask for his help and blessing. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, as we look to these words found in the Apostles' Creed that we believe in the life everlasting, Father, I pray that you would show us from your word the truth that those who believe in Jesus have now and will one day have all the more fully life everlasting. Father, be pleased to open our minds to understand, our hearts to embrace the truth of the gospel. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I think we've all had this experience, even for just a moment. Uh, you got to think about your life in the midst of toil and trouble and trial and heartache, haven't, hasn't there been a moment where you could say, in all honesty and sincerity, this is the life? Maybe it's at a basketball game when your team wins, or maybe it's in a meal with family and friends. Maybe, just, I'm sure it's happened to all of us. This is the life. And I think we've all thought at this, this at one time or another and said this either out loud or at least internally. It doesn't get any better than this. I mean, I've said that. It doesn't get any better than this. This is the life is often followed by this. I wish it would last forever. I wish this moment would not end. One of the early explorers of North America, uh, the Spanish uh, Ponce de Leon, what was he looking for in what's now Florida? Fountain of Youth, yes. Looking for that mythical place where you wouldn't grow old. You would go back to youth. You would live forever. I've read some interesting articles about billionaires in Silicon Valley have actually created like storehouses uh, all, all the way to preserving their own body because they want to live forever. It's, it makes sense, doesn't it? Ecclesiastes 3.11, God has put eternity into man's heart. Whether you're a Spanish explorer or you're a billionaire in Silicon Valley, there's a sense that you're meant to live forever. It reminds me, of a best-selling book from a few years ago, uh, Your Best Life, how does it go? Now. Your Best Life Now. Um, Well, the Bible would beg to differ. and has another title, Your Best Life Later. Your Best Life Later. I hope you'll be able to read the something to think about quote, um, by C.S. Lewis from his uh, magnum opus in one sense, Mere Christianity, 
where he says this, If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Made for another world. It dawned on me yesterday as I was working on this message, and I can't believe I missed it until yesterday, but think with me about the Westminster Shorter Catechism, question and answer one. What is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever, without end, everlasting enjoyment. We're here at week 14 in our series, Christian, What Do You Believe? An Exposition of the Apostles' Creed. We are looking at this last statement of faith, I believe in the life everlasting. Remember, the creeds do not take the place of the Bible. They are subordinate to the Bible. They're under the authority of the Bible. They serve to organize and summarize the teaching of Scripture. And this expression that we will look at, the life everlasting, really does serve to organize and summarize a vast amount of scriptural teaching. Maybe not in the detail we would like, but nonetheless in the general sense. The Apostles' Creed summarizes the faith, but it doesn't exhaust it. And these topics, like the life everlasting, serve to anchor and power our lives, especially when life gets tough, especially in the tribes. We've been in our series now for three or so months. Uh, we've been confessing that we believe in God the Father, God the Son, and now in our third section, God the Holy Spirit. So you see in the creed, the doctrine of the Trinity, the basic economy of redemption, the historical facts about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Here in this third section, we see the recreating work of of the Spirit, because we saw earlier the creating work of the Father, the rescue work of the Son, and now the recreating work of the Holy Spirit. We've moved from salvation accomplished to now salvation applied. As we've been saying, this third section is a job description of the quiet but powerful work of the Holy Spirit. Because you see, the church is the new community. Recreated by the Spirit. Uh, there's forgiveness that brings about a new relationship. Uh, resurrection, a new experience. An everlasting life, a new destiny. Last week, we spoke about the resurrection of the body. The body. And here we're going to look at the life everlasting in that resurrected body in particular. Now, the question of eternal or everlasting life, unending life, is on the minds and hearts of many people. Uh, think with me just briefly about in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus gets a question from a, a rich ruler. And it goes like this, teacher, what, must, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Or good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Good teacher... Again, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You see, that rich ruler wanted something. He knew something was available. He wanted to know how to get it. 
And we will see, especially as we look at passages in John, Jesus tells us clearly how we get it. Now, in English, everlasting and eternal are distinct. Everlasting conveys temporal succession without end, kind of duration, and eternal is timeless, a quality. But for our purposes today, we'll go back and forth between everlasting and eternal because it's here, for our purposes, it's a distinction without a difference. Now, we're going to unpack and explore the everlasting life by considering, first, its timing. When does it begin? Second, its nature. What is it? And how does it differ from other kinds of life? And third, its location. Where is it experienced? Where is it lived? And so here it is in brief. The when, the what, and the where of the life everlasting. Let's first now look at its timing. When does the life everlasting, when does eternal life begin? Um, Well, if Psalm 23 is the most well-known chapter in the Bible. I think it goes without saying that John 3.16 is the most well-known verse. And you heard it read earlier, but let's look at it again. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. The King James Version and the New King James Version use everlasting life, but they're both translating a a, a Greek word that can be equally translated as eternal or everlasting. Now, in this one verse, you see God's action, our response, God's gift, and our reward and destiny. Now, as we move to look at its timing... uh, There is a key distinction that I believe helps us understand and live the Christian life. It's this, and I heard it in our adult Sunday school class. Somebody mentioned it. The already and the not yet. The already and the not yet. Along with the distinction between the indicative, a statement, and the imperative, a command, the distinction between the already and the not yet is so very important. If I'd have had the already and not yet in mind in junior high and in high school, man, I would have saved myself some confusion, some trouble. The already and the not yet. Let's look at the already, a present reality. Eternal life, everlasting life, the life everlasting is a present reality that results from our union with Christ. Turn over to John 5.24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. There's Jesus saying eternal life is a done deal. If you hear and believe, you have eternal life. You've passed from death to life. You are alive. Later, Jesus will say, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. And we heard earlier from 1 John 5, 11, and this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. So you can make an argument that When does it begin? 
When does the life everlasting, eternal life begin? It's already begun. It's been given. It's been received. But yet, in many ways, there's another emphasis, the not yet. It's not so much a present reality as it is a coming reality. It's the eternal life that's given as our inheritance at the last judgment. Again, in John 6, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. Jesus is speaking about the last day. In Romans, Paul says this, To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, He will give, that is, God will give, eternal life, will give. Again in Romans, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. There's an aspect that eternal life is future. It's at the end of sanctification. It's glorification. Paul says also, For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit and from the Spirit, what? Reaps eternal life. It's coming. In that short letter of Jude, we read this, Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. It's coming. Now, Scripture often associates our full reception of eternal life with the resurrection of our bodies. When our bodies are made alive, as we spoke about last week, we will live forever body and soul, fully redeemed and restored human beings. It makes good sense that in the Apostles' Creed, you have the resurrection of the body immediately followed by the life everlasting. Now, we've just spoken about the already and the not yet of the life everlasting. But even though there's a not yet aspect, God wants us to know that we have eternal everlasting life, that we have the promise of it. Remember how John ends his gospel with these words, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Now, if you haven't picked up this already, John speaks more about eternal life and life than anybody else. So at the end of his gospel, he is saying the purpose of my writing is that so people will believe, and if they believe, they will have life eternal with Jesus. And again, at the end of John's letter, I write these things to you, who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have what? That you have eternal life. There's the already and the not yet of the life everlasting. God wants us to be assured. So you don't have to ask out loud, but it's a good que- answer out loud, but it's a good question to ask yourself. Am I assured of this promise? Am I assured of this present reality and this future reality? Well, so far as its timing is concerned, it's already here. And it's also yet to come. But what is it 
We've been talking about the life everlasting, eternal life. What is it? What's its nature? What's its quality? What is it and how does it differ from other kinds of life? Well, everlasting life is not simply a matter of our existence and consciousness continuing forever. Even people who are under the eternal judgment of God have continued existence and consciousness. Rather, the nature, the key quality of everlasting life is that we live forever in the blessing of God. Both eternal life and eternal death involve continuing existence. One is an existence that is blessed, and the other is an existence that is cursed. You see, the everlasting life that Jesus speaks of is not simply the unending life of eternity, it speaks of a quality of life, life from heaven, life from above. And although I don't want us to turn pages back and forth, this is worth a turn. John 17, 3. This is about one of the places where Jesus is like a dictionary writer. Kids, what do you find in dictionaries? Help me out. What? Definitions, right. I used to, people told me to go out and go to a dictionary to how to spell something. That was counterproductive. You know, I couldn't find it. But you can go to it to get a definition. And John 17, 3 says this, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Knowing God the Father. Knowing God the Son. Jesus says, if you want to know what eternal life is, this is it. And you can even see the already and the not yet aspect of that. We had an interesting discussion in our Sunday school class about kind of the work of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And, and listen to the psalmist here in Psalm 73. Whom have I in heaven but you, and there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion. How long? Forever. <clears throat> what an intimacy. What a speaking of knowing God, desiring God. Let's speak for a moment about what Scripture calls the, the righteous life versus the wicked death. In John chapter 5, Jesus says this, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear His voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. You see, the difference here is a difference of relationship to God. If it's under blessing, then the person is alive. It's a life of righteousness. If it's under curse, they're dead. Eternal life is the great reward the gospel offers for those who repent and believe. Because you see it in the beginning of Mark's gospel when Jesus says the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. He could have gone on to say, and he did in other ways, that the reward for repentance and faith, the reward 
is eternal life. And we heard Jesus define eternal life. Knowing God the Father. Knowing God the Son. As you heard in Revelation 21, God will dwell with His people. There's going to be a coming day when there's no sin, no death, no sadness. You see, our greatest delight is when we will be completely free from the presence of sin. How many of you all right now are just discouraged by sin? Sin in your own life? Sin in the life of others you know and love. Sin just in general. How many of you guys are discouraged? I am. But there's a coming day that's going to be pure delight. We and all of those who trust in Jesus will be free from the presence of sin. You see, the everlasting life that we declare in this creed is not a perpetual vacation. It's the experience of a new world uninfected and unaffected by sin's curse. It's a life free from sin. Our greatest delight will be uninterrupted, unimpeded, unending communion with God. Some of you may be familiar with John Bunyan's great work, Pilgrim's Progress, and you remember maybe what Mr. Standfast said. But now I go where I shall live by sight and shall be with him in whose company I myself delight. So is that your delight? I'm convinced that one of the reasons I don't long for heaven is because I'm just satisfied with the sinful life here and now. But you know, there's a holy dissatisfaction with life now because you're looking ahead to the glory to come well where do we live this everlasting life we receive it we inherit it It, it's already and it's not yet where do we live this everlasting life well what is its location where is it experienced well like the already and the not yet there are two aspects first the here and now What was Jesus' definition of eternal life? John 17, knowing God the Father and knowing God the Son. When does that start? Where is that taking place? Here and now. Walking with Jesus by faith. There's peace. There's joy. In some ways, to quote a song, that's paradise. To be in a right relationship with God through Jesus here and now. But scripture kind of has an accent, an emphasis, and it's the there and then. It's the new heavens and the new earth. You see, the recreation of the heavens and the earth bring the overarching storyline of the Bible to full completion. The ultimate destination of the redeemed, of redeemed human beings is not going to be in the heavens per se, but rather on the renewed earth. God is making everything new, including the world itself for our eternal home. Listen to these words from Isaiah again, Isaiah 65. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. Peter, in 2 Peter 3, picks up on this. But according to his promise, we are waiting 
for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And as we heard from Revelation 21, the new heavens and the new earth are coming. It's guaranteed. God will dwell with his people. There's a lot of symbolic imagery, but it's trying to communicate what it's going to be like in the immediate presence of the Lord. There will be no sadness, no tears, no death, no sorrow. Heaven becomes earthly and earth becomes heavenly. Eternal life will be, as it were, terrestrial life lived in the glorious space of a new creation. And my friends, this, as in everything, we take by faith. There's so much that's detailed that's not provided, but what is provided is enough to keep us going. You know, the author of This Is My Father's World, Trinity Hymnal 111, got it right. This is my Father's world. The battle is not done. Jesus, who died, shall be satisfied, and earth and heaven be one. You see, everlasting life is an article of faith, and it's an article of faith that is full of joy and comfort for the believer. Do you remember how Psalm 16 ends? In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. The Heidelberg Catechism, question and answer 58, goes like this. How does this article concerning life everlasting comfort you? The answer is this, even as I already now in my heart experience the beginning of eternal joy, so after this life I will have perfect blessedness such as no eye has seen, no ear has, no ear has heard, no human heart has ever imagined. A blessedness in which to praise God eternally. In just a few moments, we're going to sing a hymn that was written by the wife of a Scottish Presbyterian pastor in the 1800s. But she wrote it as a poem based on the writings of Samuel Rutherford. The sands of time are sinking. And... History records that Samuel Rutherford, one of the divines that helped write the Westminster Confession of Faith, it, it's recorded that at his deathbed, as he crossed the threshold from this life to the next, he, like other believers of his day, spoke words of comfort to those family and friends around him. And he spoke about the glory of dwelling in Emmanuel's land. The glory of dwelling in Emmanuel's land, and Emmanuel, of course, means what? God with us. And so in Emmanuel's land, the highest glory is the glory of Emmanuel himself. And at, we're going to sing not only the four verses that are in the Trinity Hymnal, we're going to sing a couple of other verses out of the 19 that were written. And as we sing it, I want you to see how there is a, a full confidence that as the, the hourglass of time 
As the sand goes through the hourglass, it is all building up to that life unending, the everlasting, the life everlasting. The sands of time are sinking. So how about you? All of us one day, unless Jesus returns in the meantime, are going to be at death's door. Whether it's expected or unexpected, are you going to be at that moment full of terror? Or are you going to have the quiet confidence that God's word is true? That God's promises can be believed? And that for those who believe, he does really give the gift of everlasting life. Well, we've asked a few questions about the life everlasting questions as to when, what, how, and where. We've also spent some time surveying for the scriptures for answers. Well, we're going to conclude by asking just two more questions. These questions, which may be the most important, are the why and the who of life everlasting. Answers to both the why and the who can be found where we begin. John 3.16. I think my former pastor Robert Lethem said he's, he could get 10 sermons out of John 3.16. Why? What's the why of the life everlasting? It's this. It's the Father's great love. It's the Father's great love. And what is the who of the life everlasting? It's those who believe Whoever believes in him. We all know how fairy tales end, right? And they lived happily ever after. Well, Christians will, in fact, inherit the destiny to which fairy tales point. We will indeed live in the presence of the Lord happily ever after. Because you see, the, the gift of life everlasting, life eternal, is the concluding chapter in the Father's tale. The Father's tale. We haven't sung it often, recently, excuse me, but it's in our Trinity hymnal. It's hymn number 735. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Ghost as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be world without end. Amen. Amen. You see, my friends, for those who are trusting in Jesus... This is the life. And on the one hand, it doesn't get any better than this. It really does get better than this. Right now, we are pursuing the chief end of man. One day, we will all arrive at man's highest, most ultimate purpose for living we will indeed, you can take it to the bank, we will indeed glorify God and enjoy Him forever. 
and God's people gathered in his church here and now is the foretaste. Amen. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this promise, not just of unending conscious existence, but this promise of life in Christ, knowing the Father, knowing the Son, knowing the Holy Spirit. Father, may this sure and certain promise and hope of eternal life, would it anchor our lives and would it power our lives through the difficult days that we all presently live in? Oh, Father, we long to see the already, the not yet, become one. The future reality become the present reality. Oh, come, Lord Jesus, we pray in his name. Amen.